feel like hitting the replay button and just ask them to come back and do that again. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Great message and song. Great to be back here with you. Today's been, uh, it's been, it's been a day of, uh, of remembering and a day of, of recalling uh, times past of being here with you folks and reminiscing, I think is the word I'm trying to come up with. And, and uh, just to be able to uh, uh, talk to everybody that I feel like we need to and say howdy to again and to make some new friends. It's just been a wonderful day, a day of laughter and a day of, again, reminiscing of so many things. Again, as I said this morning, I tried to say we have friends all over Ann Arbor Baptist Church. And uh, we count you folks as extremely special friends. And uh, we're grateful for you. You know, as we travel about from place to place... Uh, there are ministries that you just kind of get connected with. And uh, you certainly are that kind of place. I've, of course, been with some of your young people um, at various camps and retreats, some from here and sometimes at, uh, at other camps where they've come to hear me preach. And then, of course, here at your church, privileged to be here in days gone by. I don't know if I can say this uh, effectively enough and strongly enough, and I don't even know if it's necessary that I say it, but I, uh, I just feel the, the, the nudge to do so. I, I, I just cannot tell you how special it is to be with a church that believes in taking care of their pastor as you are this month, this month of June. A part of my ministry in, in our travels is to seek to be an encouragement and a help and a blessing to the pastor of the churches that we go to. My hat is off and my heart goes out to the load that pastors are under. It is not just a job in which they put in a few hours and then go home and clock out. It is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's, just, it's not just the physical labor, it's the emotional labor and load and so for you to give Pastor Barber the opportunity just to get away for an entire month is something that is strongly encouraging to me. And I, I again, applaud you for what you've done. I think you'll reap the benefit of it when he comes back. I wish I could kind of hang around. I guess I could get online and hear what is said. But I'm sure it's taken him a few days just to not feel bad about being gone for so long. But the truth is... He is in a place in which he can spend some special time with the Lord and to have the opportunity to get his heart in a, uh, in a place in which, again, I use the word refreshed, re-strengthened re and rebooted and to come back with, uh, with a, a fresh heart of leadership for you. There's a special relationship between a shepherd and his flock. And I admire it as I watch it from place to place in our travels. It, it, it's... Uh, it's encouraging to me to see that relationship. It's, uh, it's something that I'm a little bit envious of. Not a lot, but somewhat. You see, uh, pastors will say to me, boy, I could not do what you do. Man, traveling all the time and being with people and packing up and going again. And I always say, and I couldn't do what you do. I mean, I guess I could if the Lord wanted me to do it. I know I could, but that's not what the Lord wants me to do. It's a, it's a special giftedness to pastor a flock of people. So, I've spent far too much time, but I just want you to know, I'm grateful for you as a church body who've allowed uh, the barbers to get away like this and to have opportunity to do what they're doing. There's so many other things I feel like saying. Lynn and I love you folks. We're grateful for you. And as uh, Lloyd just mentioned, we'll, we'll be leaving early in the morning, taking off, making our way back home. And I will begin uh, starting next week um, my uh, travels of the summer, going to summer camps, trying to act like I know what I'm doing with teenagers. And so it'll be a good time. I always say this, at the beginning of a summer, I am so ready to just hang out with teenagers. I am so ready. And by the end of the summer, I feel like saying, I am so ready to go back to churches. And uh, young people have worn me out. And so I will uh, enjoy the opportunity to be at various camps this summer. So if you think about it, I appreciate you praying for me as we travel about. And I would be grateful for that. Well, my heart has been challenged greatly with, this, with the music that we've sung corporately. And as we have had ministered to us uh, before the service and during the service, it's just been glorious. It's been wonderful. I want you to go with me tonight to the book of 1 Peter. 
if you would, and get the fifth chapter opened up in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you would, get that opened up in front of you. I thank you for coming. I know, uh, as has been mentioned, some may be watching online. I will tell you this, I understand. Uh, I've been in those positions in which I've had to stay home and I've had to uh, watch a service online due to health reasons. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, communicate to those folks. But I would say to you, if you can physically quickly get back to church, there's something about being with the Lord's people in the same building and lifting your voice together with them and singing and uh, rejoicing with the goodness of the Lord. So I hope that you can plan to be back if you physically are able to do so. If you will notice in the book of 1 Peter, as you would read the book of 1 Peter, you will find something from his writing that is found in both epistles, 1 and 2 Peter, that is threaded throughout. Peter is concerned. It's almost as if he can sense the, the hurting of his friends that he's writing to. You see, the church that he was communicating with, his church friends that he was writing to, were hurting because of a great deal of serious persecution that was going on. Nero was the Caesar at the time, and he was crazy. I mean, he was He was nutty. I mean, you know, the name Nero, I mean, I, I think anybody who knows anything about him, uh, you, 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 no one's ever named their kid Nero. I don't think it's the name that you may name your dog Nero, but you don't name your kid. Now, if your name is Nero, I think it's a wonderful name. Fine, you know, uh, if your grandmother was named Nero, fine, you know, whatever. But the point is, it's not a name that we usually cling to because of the history of this crazy guy. It really is true that he fiddled while Rome burnt. Burnt down to the ground. You see, Nero had such an insatiable desire to build. He loved construction that he, he ran out of space in Rome proper to where he ordered for much of it to be burnt down so that he could rebuild some new buildings. And the people of Rome were furious. They, were dis- they despised their government. Some things sometimes don't change much. But they were angry with decisions that the government was making. And as a result of it, Nero, trying to to deflect the responsibility, said, Oh, no, 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 I'm not the one responsible. Again, nothing, some things don't ever change. He said, it's it's someone else. And he pointed a finger at the Christians. He said, "It's it's that group, it's that sect of people called... Christ followers, those Christians, they're the ones responsible for burning down Rome. And so let's punish them. And so the rise of persecution began to come at, at an, an exorbitant level. I don't have time to review all the things that took place. They began to build the amphitheaters and, and, the, uh, and the, the, the stadiums within which uh, Christians were thrown into a, an arena with wild animals attacking them to the satisfaction of the Roman citizenry as they watched their uh, people that, that were called Christians being devoured by wild animals. Can you imagine the depravity of the human mind? So many other things would take place during that time. In order to have night games, they would dip some Christians into some kind of a oil or pitch of some sort and strap them to a post and put them up on high and then light them up to provide lights for the night games. And in that environment, Peter writes these letters. And he's saying to them, I know, he goes, I know you're under a great deal of a fiery trial. That's why he said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, because you get to partake in the sufferings of Christ. And we come to the portion of his letter, his first epistle, what we call chapter 5. You know, of course, he didn't write with chapter divisions. But he starts addressing the church leaders. He says to the church elders, he talks to them as to how to pastor the people. And he tells them, he says, don't, don't lord over them. Don't try to dictate everything in their life. Lead them and feed them. Shepherd the flock. And then he says to the, to the young, you'll notice in verse 5, he says, likewise ye younger. Now that refers to both age and uh, stage of Christian life. Those young in the Lord and those 
uh, that, are, that are growing, which, of which we all are a part of. He says, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, the spiritual leaders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. In other words, minister to each other and be clothed with humility. Now, in case we didn't get it, he decides to quote a verse from the Proverbs. Here it is. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And in case we still don't have it, he comes to verse 6 and he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, the idea of being exalted in due time does not mean he's going to exalt you to a point in which everybody's going to look at you and say, boy, what a wonderful person you are. Oh, you must be a super saint, super Christian. Oh, he'll exalt you in the eyes of... That's not what he's saying. The idea there is that he will lift you up. The idea is you have struggled with the problems and the trials, the hardships of life. So just... Keep yourself under the mighty hand of God. God knows what He's doing. Humble yourselves under His hand that He may lift you up in His own time. Then he says in verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. That is, be alert. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about... Seeking whom he may devour, wild animals, animals in the wild, will attack a wounded animal. Because that animal can't run fast. And, the, and that, that devouring lion will attack a wounded animal. They also attack young animals. And that's what the devil's doing like a devouring lion today. He attacks the young and he attacks wounded believers. And so he says to them, keep your eyes open because he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse, uh, verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. Establish. Strengthen. And settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, we used to live in Indianapolis and really didn't have any bearing to the story that we're telling right now, but I was uh, at a camp one summer out in California and Lynn was at home and she had some projects she was going to work on at the house. She was going to do some painting and make some uh, curtains for a room or two, I think. And, and so she was trying to maximize her time while she was home. And I got a call from her one morning. I was getting ready to go to a morning chapel there at that camp and she said, Morris, something's wrong with with my car it's making all kinds of racket all kinds of noise now i i am not a mechanic okay i, I mean I, I i may pop a hood like i know what i'm doing but i don't have a clue i know I, I i can't fix anything so she's sharing this with me and the husband in me kicked in i said okay well what did it what what did it sound like what do you mean i she said well i tried to back it out and she said it's making all kinds of squawking scratching uh terrible noises and she described it for me as being something outside of the engine outside maybe around the wheels and I said you know I think I may know what that is I said that that may be brake pads need to be replaced I said they make horrible sounds when when you when it's going down like that and I said and I said I said it always sounds worse than what it is I said you've got time you can drive it up the road to a some mechanic and uh, and and let them replace the the brake pads. And she said, I, I'm a little nervous about getting out in the car like this. She said, What if I break down? You're not here to help me. What can I do? And I said, Yeah, I don't want you breaking down. I'm two thousand miles away. I said, We can't have that. So I don't know what to do. And she said, Well, what can we do? And I said, I I don't know. And I said, Give me a 
give me a moment to think. And, and, and finally I said, I tell you what, let's hang up and let me just think for a second. I said, I don't know what to do. Now look, folks, when you're an evangelist, the Van Gelderns can tell you you're hardly ever home. And I'm never hardly ever at the house. I don't know. I don't know a mechanic. I don't know anybody to turn to. I just don't know anybody. And so I said, let me just think. I don't know what to do. And so we hung up and I, and I thought, well, I got, I've got two sons I could contact, but they know about as much as I do about uh, car repair, which means we're all in trouble. And so I said, what, what can I do? And I got one son who's a youth pastor at the local church. The other one is a businessman working in a local industry. And I said, and they're both busy as can be. I don't, they, I, they can't help me. So I don't know who to call. Finally, I just said on a whim, why don't I, why don't I just call one of my boys and just see if he's got an idea. I don't know. So I called our younger son. He's working at a company there in town. He never answers his phone. Never, never, never. And he answered his phone. And I said, hey, kid. I said, I can't believe you're answering the phone. I said, Chad, look. I said, Mom. And I explained to him the situation. I said, Mom's got, a, Mom's got some errands to run. And her car's making all kinds of noise. And I said, I know you're busy at work. I know you can't do anything. But I just thought maybe you might have an idea of something we can do to get the car repaired. I just don't know what else to do about it. And I said, uh, if you can give me some direction. He said, Dad, I got it. I got it. I said, you've got what? He said, I'll take care of it. And I, and I didn't think at that point that he understood the situation. We needed to get the car fixed right away, you know. This thing needed to be taken care of. We were kind of limited in time. And I said, no, I said, son, we need to get, we need to get down to this right away. He said, I know, Dad. He said, I can take care of it. I said, what do you mean you can take care of it? Yeah, I'm thinking, you're not a mechanic and you're at work. What do you mean? He said, Dad, he said, look, he said, I'm going on break. He said, I'll drive my car over to the house and let Mom have my car. She can do anything she wants to with it. I'll drive her car back up here to the shop. He said, I got three mechanics who work with us here. He said, at lunch, we'll take it apart. We'll find out what needs to be done. We'll get it repaired, and, and I'll get it back to mom uh, by the end of the day. And I said, yeah, but, but you're going to have to buy parts. And he said, yeah. He said, I I'll go buy the parts. I said, okay, who is this? And who, what did you do with my son? I said, you're going to buy the parts? He said, I'll buy the parts. I said, what in the world is, he said, Dad, I'll take care of it. Now, again, the husband in me, the father in me is still trying to figure out what can I do to contribute 2,000 miles away. And I said, okay, well, what do you need me to do? His answer was a classic answer. He said, hang up the phone. That's what I need you to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, Dad, you go do what you do. He said, you can't do anything about this. He said, you've told me about it. I'll take care of mom. I'll go get to her. I can't call her and tell her I'm on my way until we hang up the phone. He said, It'll all, he said it's all been taken care of. Don't even worry about it. Now, would you read verse 7 with me once again and listen to it like you've never heard it before? Like the people in Peter's day were hearing it for the very first time when he said to them, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Linda and I, sometimes we'll go in the airport and I watch these little kids at, at the baggage claim. You see some little, you see some little, you know, three-year-old boy. His daddy just got off the plane. He's the daddy, daddy. I'm so glad seeing dad's got this big fat briefcase. It's heavy. Uh, to that little boy and he, he wants to help out his daddy and typical little boy he'll go over there and he'll he'll try to pick it up and and he he's got both hands and he's doing everything he can he he's going to almost need a chiropractor by the time he he's through lifting that thing up and he can't do it it's too heavy for him and his dad says son that's too heavy here let me have that and dad picks it up with a couple of fingers that boy's trying to take something that he he's not supposed to take he he's trying to take the father's load and I'm looking at some folks here tonight that the truth is many of us are guilty of often living our life trying to carry something we have no business carrying. Do any of these words sound like you? Panicked. Worried. Fretful. Depressed. Scared. Unsure. Insecure worried 
You know, the medical world wants to medicate your worries away. There are religions out there that want you to meditate your worries away. God wants to eliminate your worries. And the fact is, most of us in this room know exactly what it is to walk in day-to-day life carrying the burdens and the cares of our life, thinking that somehow or another I've got to solve every issue that I'm facing and I'm dealing with. Do you remember when you were a little kid, you thought the cares of your life when you were a little kid were just so severe, you know, and you scraped a knee or you, 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 just, you just had some little problem at school or some sort, somebody kind of looked at you half half crazy or something and you didn't get invited to somebody's birthday party or something and I mean it was like oh this is bad and when you're a little kid you find yourself saying I can't wait till I'm an adult I can't wait till I grow up I can't wait I'm, I'm gonna stay up to midnight when I'm a grown-up I'm gonna eat I'm gonna eat ice cream at midnight when I grow up what they don't know is when you grow up you go to bed at 10 o'clock you know it's like you know you're just exhausted you know even though you could stay up if you wanted to and when you're an adult, you look at little kids running around here outside and around the church. You know what you find yourself doing as an adult? Looking at little kids saying, boy, that was the day, wasn't it? Those were the times when we were little kids. We didn't have a care in the world. We spend our life thinking about, I'm caring so much. I don't have anything to be happy about. Or I'm full of burdens. And my life is full of care. At whatever age and stage you're at, you're thinking things are going to be so much better when something happens, when I get a little bit older, when I get that job, when I get that marriage, when I get this car, when I get... And Peter said to folks who were carrying loads that probably we don't even know much about, he was saying, cast all your care on Him. Because He cares for you. Did you know that 70 million Americans, 70 million, I'm not much on stats, but 70 million Americans suffer with a particular problem. It causes 38,000 deaths in America every year. It costs $70 billion in productivity. Teenagers suffer with this. 64% of teenagers blame it, this issue, on poor grades. Most severe cases occur between the ages of 30 and 40. And over 50% of people over 65 years of age suffer with this particular sickness. All kinds of treatments have been tried to be used to solve this problem. Mouth guards, herbal teas, I'm sure there's an oil for it. Uh, medicines what is this what am I talking about is it chemical abuse someone going through a divorce long sermons being a Dallas Cowboy fan now that may be the problem right there I know all about that one what is it it's restlessness anxieties fears and cares and we don't get much help in the world in which we live in you know there's never been a TV commercial to come on to tell you that that here's a product that we're trying to sell but you probably don't need it it's okay you know your shampoo's good enough you know you know what they do they show you some woman with her hair all stuck to her head saying are you gonna live with that limp and unmanageable hair the rest of your life I mean here's our shampoo it doesn't have any paraben in it what in the world is paraben I don't even know what that is and this is the shampoo or this is the telephone of the future oh really you mean my $900 uh, small computer in my hand is worthless oh yeah that's a piece of trash why we've got something you've got that 5g well we've come out with a 17g this is the thing of the future it will vacuum carpets it will brush your teeth it will uh, it occasionally make a phone call this is the phone that you need and you you spend your life thinking I I don't have all the niceties of life that I really need and we spend our life thinking I just I, I wish I wish I wish I had all these things and Peter is saying to his his friends cast all your care upon him because he cares for you what can we learn from this well first of all there is what I'm going to call the inevitable reality the inevitable reality look at it again casting all your care upon him I'm not a Greek 
technician, but I want you to know the word care there is in the plural, which means all of your cares. No matter what you think someone else may consider to be insignificant, God is saying to you, cast all your cares upon me. Every one of them. It is an inevitable reality that you and I are going to have cares. Now, I'm not saying anything tonight that you don't already know. It's unavoidable. It's irrevocable. It's unalterable. It's unchangeable. It is inevitable. You're going to have cares. Like when you sit in the doctor's office. As Lynn and I did in January of 2018. And heard words that we had never heard before. And the doctor said, you have multiple myeloma. I didn't even know what it was. I just knew I had terrible pain in my lower back. And after MRIs and x-rays, there would be biopsies. He said, you have cancer. We came to find out, we didn't know till later on, that it's the number two cancer of the world. We asked all the questions you would tend to ask. How do you deal with it? And what, how long is this going to last? And I actually said to him, I said, can we just have surgery to cut out that little growth that you, that you have found on my back and just cut it out? I got, I got to go preach. He said, it's going to take several months. And our world came to a screeching halt. And every phone call I had to make and every person I had to contact and say, I'm not going to be able to come. I, I don't know when I'll be back at it. And this is not tonight to talk, tell a testimony about me. I told the Lord, and I told Him again tonight. I promised Him. If He'd give me another chance to get inside pulpits, I would tell people about what He did for me. That He allowed me to get back up on my feet to go preach again. For an entire year, we dealt with low dosages of chemo and had radiation. And, and then I had my own stem cells taken out of me and then put in storage. And, and then they pumped me with the heavy-duty chemo in order to get rid of all the rogue, bad cancer cells. And then when I was completely cleaned out of that and depleted of it, they put back inside of me my own stem cells. My doctor said to me, Morris, did you know that those stem cells know exactly where to go? They go exactly where they're supposed to go. I said, do you think there's a divine creator? He said, I know there is. And I sat in the hospital. We stayed in the hospital for... 17 days as I watched my immune system go all the way down and then slowly begin to rise again. They called that day of my stem cell bone marrow transplant, they called it my, they called it my second birthday. I said, I've already had one of those. I said, this happens to be my third. The nurses came in and they sang, happy transplant day. Brought, brought us a birthday cake in, you know. I was so sick, I didn't eat it. But I mean, I, I mean, it's fine, you know, thank you for this. They said, you're, you're, it's like you're restarting life all over again. And I said, do I have to go back to junior high? I don't want to do junior high again. Will my voice crack again? I don't want to do all that again. And then almost to the day, friends, almost to the day, a year later, the doctor, the transplant doctor, looked at me and looked at all my numbers and he said, well, you're in remission. And he said, we're going to do everything we can to keep it there. And that's been almost three years, about two and a half years, I guess I should say, right now. And there's not a day goes by that I don't praise the Lord. I have learned the value of every day. Oh, I'm not perfect. I'm not where I need to be. But I've recognized the brevity of life, the shortness of time. And there's a lot for us to be grateful for. Yeah, you're going to have cares. It may be a doctor's report that's going to shake your world. 
It can be a car accident that shakes your world. It can be a loss of employment that changes your direction. It, it, can, be, it can be a relationship issue that comes along. It can become something that you can't even verbalize, some emotional breakdown. You know, our emotions have been given to us from the Lord as a gift. Our emotions are a gift. They help color our life. They help us to enjoy relationships. They, they allow us to laugh and enjoy life. But emotions are to be our servants, not the masters of our lives. For when, when emotions start driving your life, your life will be an up and down roller coaster ride. The psalmist said in Psalm 27, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I would have passed out until I had discovered that God was going to bring goodness into my life in the land of the living. It's an inevitable reality, friends. You're going to have cares. Now look, if you're sitting here tonight and you say, Morris, I don't have any cares. Everything's going good for me. Everything's going fine. Hey, the bills are paid. My kid uh, finally, you know, graduated this year, got, finally got out of geometry, you know. After the fourth year, I'm glad for that. And I, uh, you know, I mean, we've got good job security and the car's running well. And uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's really good. My, the dog came home and the cat ran away. It can't be any better. I'm telling you, life is sweet right now. You know what I say to you? I'm happy for you. I just keep going to bed at night and keep getting up in the morning. It's an inevitable reality that cares are going to come. You've lived long enough to know that. Sometimes our cares come because of things from our past. And I don't want to labor on every, every little thing, but sometimes it has to do with our past. You know, something that was done to us in the past, and we still carry it in our memory bank. Something that we did in our past. And we drag it along like a heavy weight, and we're trying to get through life thinking, oh, why, did, why did I do that? If only I hadn't gone to that party. If only I hadn't taken that first drink. If only I hadn't gone to that website. If only, if only I had not gone into the military. Or if only I had have gone into the military. If only I hadn't made those decisions. If only I had had a different situation as a family growing up. Oh, if only. And you can spend the rest of your life dragging your past around saying, Oh, I'm so heavy laden and I, I'm burdened down. And the truth is you can become a person who is literally consumed with the cares of your past. I, I preached it in the morning service, the first service this morning. The Apostle Paul said, Brethren, I, didn't, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. You, you, you don't excuse the past. You learn from the past and move on. You drive down the highway, you've got a little rearview mirror in which you can look through that rearview mirror and you can see where you've been, but you've got a big windshield to look forward to. It's, if you were looking at the past all the time in that rearview mirror, you're going to have a wreck. And if you're driving down the road of life, you may glance back and say, yeah, I learned some lessons, but man, i got some things i got to do for the Lord. i got a bright future ahead. Some people, they let the past drag them down and they're carrying the heavy load. Some people, it's not the past, it's the present. Man, living, how am I going to deal with all these problems? I mean, I, all these bills I've got to pay today. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get everything accomplished that's on my list of things that I've got to do today. I'm telling you, I, I, I just don't have enough time to get everything done in a day's time that's on my list to do. I mean, it's just heavy, heavy, heavy on me. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, there was a woman in Jesus' day when he was on this earth. Her name was Martha. She loved the Lord, and he loved her, and he, he had to slow her down one day. Martha, Mar Martha, Martha, chill. Now, that's hidden in the Greek, but I think it must have been there. I'm not trying to be irreverent. I'm just trying to say Jesus, in conversation, was saying, Martha, catch your breath. You are careful. You are full of care about a number of things. I live there. Type A people get there. Just, am I going to get everything done? Sometimes it's the past. Sometimes it's the present. Are you with me? Many times it's the future. If you want a preacher's outline, it's the past, it's the present, it's the possibilities of the future. 
It's this world of what if. I wish Glycer hadn't preached this sermon. I got a doctor's, I got a doctor's report coming up, and I, I got to go meet that doctor. Oh man, God's trying to get me ready. What if? What? And you, and you can you can spend two or three days fretting over what the future holds. What if? What if I do lose my job? I got to talk to the boss this week. What if? What if? Uh, what if that law gets passed? What if that person gets elected? They probably did. What if? What if? Uh, what if, what if, uh, what if, the, what if the, the cat comes home too? I mean, what if all these things that I've been so excited, what if? A woman came up to her pastor one day and she said, Pastor, I think it really helps to worry. I know you often say don't worry, but I think it helps. He said, no, ma'am. No, it doesn't help to worry. She goes, yeah. She goes, I've discovered much of the things I worry about happening. They don't ever happen. So she said, it must help to worry about it ahead of time. He said, no, you've missed the point. Jesus in that masterful sermon called the Sermon on the Mount said to them, take no thought for tomorrow. You'll have enough grace and strength to face tomorrow when tomorrow comes. God is, God's grace is in every place and in every time and place of your life. Are you fretting about something? Peter is saying to people, it's inevitable. Look, when he wrote this letter, he didn't say, now some of you who are receiving this letter, some of you are going to have some trials. Some of you are going to have some heavy loads. Now there's a handful of you who are getting this letter. You're never going to carry, you're not going to have any cares, you're not going to have any burdens. So just let, tolerate me for a few minutes while I talk to these people who are going to have cares. That's not what he's saying. He's saying every one of you are going to have cares and you know, you know it's true. It doesn't make any difference how old you are. It's going to take away sleep. It's going to take away a desire to eat. It's going to, it's going to cause you to weep. It's going to do all kinds of things in your life. It's going to cause you to be fearful and fretful. It's going to affect your marriage. Many a marriage has been disturbed because of fretting spouses, husbands or wives, worrying. What are we going to do? It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your mentoring, the raising of your kids. Many of parents taking things out on their kids because they're worried about something else and they take it out on their kids. It'll affect your ministry, trying to reach and help other people. Why would anybody want to know your Savior if you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders all the time? And friends, I'm telling you, there were, some, there were a handful, maybe five passages that I anchored I anchored myself to when fighting cancer for a full year. And this was the first one. Or actually, maybe the second one after Psalm 91. Casting all your care upon Him. It's an inevitable reality. You're going to have cares. Number two, there is the instant response. What's that? Well, let the verse explain itself. Look at verse 7. Casting. Casting all your care. It's inevitable you're going to have cares, but here's what we're supposed to do with it. Don't hang on to it. The word casting is a word that means get rid of it like it's a hot potato. Remember that little game that kids used to play? Or you play as a kid, maybe your kids played it. You know, I don't know how you play it. I think somebody had music going and you're tossing around some kind of little ball. You don't want it in your hands when the music stops. I know this, when I played baseball as a kid, I'd be out there on my position in the infield, and when the, when the ball would come to me, I wouldn't take it and just sort of slowly throw it out of my hand over to the, to the base where I'm supposed to throw it. I would cast it. I'd, I'd get out in a hurry to get it over there to where it belongs. That's the picture of what Peter is saying. Don't hang on to your care. Get rid of it immediately. The moment it comes into your life, say, Lord, this is not for me. This is sent by you. I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it, and I'm casting it back towards you. Now, if you're thinking tonight, some of you are probably saying, Morris, as soon as, I, as soon as I say, Lord, I don't want it, I'm going to give it back to you. It'll just come right back. Yeah, I know. So cast it again. He said, yeah, but it just kind of, it comes back and it haunts me again. And then cast it again. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. Yeah, I know. Wake up and say, Lord, I don't want it. I give it back to you. I'm not hanging on to this. You cast it on him. You say, well, I don't understand what he's doing. Friends, you don't have to understand what God's doing. Let him do what he's going to do. My son said, Dad, hang up the phone. I got it. 
You gave it to me. Quit trying to solve it on your own. I got it. Little boy trying to hang on to a briefcase. Son, let me have that. It's too heavy for you. All your anxiety. All your care. Bring to the mercy seat. Leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. Don't live for an explanation. You don't find your hope in understanding what God is doing. You find your hope in knowing that God knows what He's doing. You don't look for an explanation. You live in His revelation. I've said this many times. I've told two or three people here this morning. I'm, I'm taking maybe a little more than I normally do in a message like this because I know you as a church prayed for me. What Lynn and I went through, and we went through it together. I've said this to them, and I'll say it to you. I don't want to ever get cancer again. However, I would take nothing for what I learned during that year. Those quiet, listen folks, I had no schedule. I had no church, churches to go to. I had no, when do I preach again? What is the next meeting? What? All I had was, when do I go see the doctor again? And I devoured the scriptures and I devoured books that I've been wanting to read. And I had many a day in which I told Lynn, I said, I'm going to go for a walk. And she knew what I meant. We'll spend time with my Lord, just walk around. I loved to get up early in the morning, I mean real early, before the sun was up, and to watch the sun come up, and to watch His creation come alive. I loved it. I loved to talk with Him, and to have no pressure of time. I loved it, and I missed some of that, to be honest with you. And I found my security, not in knowing what are you doing. I found security in knowing that He knew what He was doing. And he was carving something out in me that it just took time to take place. It's like me as a boy, I would sit on the floor and I'd be playing with my baseball cards and my mom would be playing, not playing, would be working with a, some kind of a cross-stitch uh, piece of fabric and she'd be pushing those needles down through this tight fabric and going back up and down, up and down. From my angle on the floor looking up all I saw was a bunch of strings hanging down from this uh, round piece of metal and a piece of fabric she was working on and all I could see was an ugly mess and I told her you know loving son that I was I said mom that sure is ugly <laughs> and she said you don't know what I'm doing I said well I don't know what you're doing but it sure is ugly she said well would you stand up and come over here and I'd stand up and I'd come over and I'd stand beside her and I looked down at what she was doing and I realized Oh, that's a butterfly. Look at there. Oh, that's a mountain or a creek or a river or something that my mom was designing. I couldn't see it from my vantage point. There are times in my life and in your life I want to say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but it, it doesn't make sense. And he says, you don't know what I'm doing. Just let me work. I'm doing something that will stand for eternity's sake. Let me carve into you what needs to be done. There's the inevitable reality. You're going to have cares. There's the instant response. Cast it back on you. I don't want to carry this. Some of us pray like this. Like the old yo-yos, you know, where you, you cast a yo-yo down and you flip it back up and it comes right back up. It's down and up and down. It's like we take our cares to the Lord and say, Lord, take this care. Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I'm troubled. Lord, take this care. I'm really hurting. And I'm going to leave this with you. And then we pick it right back up and we carry it with us. Are you a yo-yo praying person? You think about the people who cast their cares upon the Lord in the Scriptures. Think about it. Can you see Hannah in the temple at Shiloh? I want a son. Oh God, I want a son so badly. And God said, I heard your prayer. You cast it on me. I'll take care of it. 
Can you see David fearful because his counselor, Ahithophel, had joined his son Absalom and he was afraid of Ahithophel's counsel? He was saying, oh God, please turn his counsel away from Absalom because he's such a smart man. Oh God, keep him from it. And God said, I'll take care of that since you gave it to me. Ahithophel went home and hung himself. Can, can you see Elijah saying, oh God, please send rain. You've not brought any rain for over three years, three and a half years. Lord, send the rain. It took seven times for them to check the clouds. They had to wait. Sometimes you have to wait. And after that seventh time, God says, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to bring a gully washer. The church gathered together in Acts chapter 12 and they prayed, Oh God, please deliver Peter. Please, he's in prison. We don't know what's going to happen. Oh God, please get Peter out of prison. We're scared. Herod's going to take his head off. And God said, I heard that prayer. And Peter comes out. I mean, Peter was nudged awake. I mean, he had to be awakened by the angel. And you talk about a guy who had peace. He was sleeping. He could have lost his head the next day. And the angel said, wake up, son. And he wakes up. He says, come follow me. And not, I mean, they didn't even have the grocery store doors that opened up like that. But it happened back then. And Peter walked right through the prison door. He came down to Mary's house where they were having that prayer meeting. Oh, God, get Peter out of prison. And at midnight, he knocks on the door. Who is it? It's me, Peter. You go read Acts chapter 12. The people had, the pe Peter had to tell them to be quiet. They were making so much noise. They were hooping and hollering and crying. I think somebody invented the chest bump right then and there. I mean, they were, they were some kind of pumped that God had heard their prayer. Why? Because they had cast their cares upon the Lord. What are you carrying tonight? There is the Inevitable reality, the instant response, and I love this, the incredible reason, the incredible reason to cast your cares on him. What is that incredible reason? Verse 7 says, for he careth for you. Sometimes it just helps to know somebody cares. And the ultimate one to know cares for you, he promises he cares for you. You say, yeah, yeah, but I don't feel like He cares for what I'm going through. Then, then tell your feelings to take a hike because the Word of God promises He cares for you. Yeah, yeah, but, but I, I think I've probably done enough to make Him to be... He's, he's fed up with me. He said, I will in no wise cast you out. That's a reference to salvation. It's a reference to the fellowship and the sweet relationship of you with Him as your Father. He will in, for no reason cast you aside. The psalmist had to talk to himself in Psalm 42 and verse 5 and also in verse 11. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, who shall yet be the health of your countenance. He's telling himself, stop being distraught. Stop being depressed. Stop being uh, somebody who's walking around like Eeyore with all the weight of the world on you. And oh, it couldn't get any worse. He says, because he cares for you. I told you a while ago the word casting all your cares is in the plural listen to this for he careth for you is in the singular you say what does that mean it means this you can put your name in the in the in the margin of your bible he cares for morris he cares for me he cares for you and you and you and you each individual all the time Again, I'm not a Greek scholar but you study it you'll find out that this is not a this is not a hypothetical statement it is written in the voice and in the mood that tells you that it is real. It is not hypothetical and it will always, always underscore it, always be true. He cares for you. Nothing I can do can cause Him to stop caring for me. That's the incredible reason why you should take all your cares to Him. He cares for you. And He wants to hear the cry of your heart. God knows that you have a bill that you don't know if you can pay it this week. He knows. God knows your roof needs replacing of shingles or something. He knows. 
He knows your vehicle needs new tires, so take it to Him. He knows you're concerned about that doctor's report coming up, so cast it on Him. He cares. He knows, he knows <coughs> you're concerned about your wayward son or daughter. You're not too sure where they are spiritually. He knows, so take it to Him and leave it there. Keep casting it on Him. 2018 was a year of testing that I will never forget. And most of the time, most of the time I was able to stay on the upbeat side of things. Most of the time I was, uh, I was positive. There were days in weakness in which I said, God, I just don't have much strength left, both physically and emotionally. And I'm trying to rest in You. And God would give me anchors like this right here and remind me, I haven't stopped caring for you. And I would cling to it. And anchor my life in it. When I was a small boy, there was a night in which I was at, at home by myself. Well not by myself, I was at home with my mom and with my sister, just the three of us. My dad was gone. Some kind of business or some sort had caused him to be late in getting home. And he wouldn't get home until much later. And uh, my mom thought she heard somebody breaking in our house. It was a weird, bizarre thing. I was like five years old. My mom thought she heard someone breaking in. And of course, all she could think about was, I'm here without my husband. I'm here with two small kids. And what, what if someone's breaking in? Now, we never had anybody trying to break into our home, but she thought she heard someone juggling the, jiggling the back door and trying to get in. She came running through the front uh, part of the house where my sister and I were, and she, she uh, started yelling that we needed to follow her. We, we got up and we went out through the, through the front door and we went to the neighborhood, to the neighbors, and we called the police. And that's when I found out that my mom thought she heard someone breaking in. And it was a fearful thing. I mean, think about it. I was a little boy. It was frightening. Well, the police came, went through our house. They didn't find anybody in there. And he came back across the street. And he said, now, Mrs. Gleiser, he says, it's all clear. You can, you can go home. There's nobody in your house. He said, the back door is unlocked. And he said, uh, I, I think he said it, it was a little bit open. He said, but you can go home. He, and my mom said, no. He, she said, my husband's coming home soon. We're just going to wait on him. After a bit of time, Dad showed up. Again, it was just totally dark. And Dad showed up. We called him over to where we were at the, neighbor, at the neighbors. And we told him what had happened. And I watched my dad walk across the street and go back inside that dark house. I thought, that's the bravest man I ever knew. He walked inside that house. And after a bit, he came back and he, came back he goes all right he says we're clear let's go everything's good let's go in the house now i'm telling you as we were walking back across the street i remember hanging on to my dad's pant leg as we walked across the street and i said daddy daddy are you sure he goes son everything's fine i said daddy did you check every closet you know closets are big to little kids i mean they really are I wanted to say, did you check mom's closet? And I said, all those shoes, I'm telling you. I mean, a, a guy could uh, stumble around in there and get lost. I, I did. But I said, I said did, did you check every closet? I, I did, son. There's nobody in, the, in there. And I said to him, did you look underneath every bed? He goes, I looked under every bed. There's nobody in the house. When we got inside the house, my dad said, all right, it's time to go to bed. I thought, go to bed, nothing. We'll not be going to sleep tonight. We'll all sit up, prepared for any particular danger that might come our way. There is no way we're going to sleep. I said, Daddy, please. He said, Son, you're fine. You're safe. Go to sleep. As a scared little boy, I rest was the last thing on my mind. I laid down in my bed. I remember laying and looking out toward the hallway outside of my bedroom. I thought if somebody comes breaking in, comes into my room, I'll throw my baseball glove at him and scream all at the same time. And I remember thinking, don't even blink. Because in the moment of that blinking, that, my, that man may be right on you in the moment of that quick blink. I, and so I was sitting there, my eyes were just bugged out. And, and then in the quietness of the, of the house, after a bit of time, I heard someone walking down the hall. And then the light came on. 
And then standing right in front of my room was my daddy. And he was standing there and he was looking around, acting like he was checking the whole house out. What he was doing was he was trying to bring comfort to a scared little boy. And he looked around. He went back down to his room. I don't know how long it was, folks. I was just a five-year-old kid. Maybe 30 minutes passed, maybe a 45, I don't know. And next thing I knew, here comes Dad down the hall again. And he's standing right there in front of my room. And he's looking around. And I'm watching him. I would imagine he probably stole a look in there to see if I was looking at him. I was. I was still awake. He walked back down to his and Mom's room and the third time he came back, the third time he was carrying a baseball bat. I got to tell you, I, I had mixed emotions at that point. I got to thinking, I wish somebody would break in now, you know. I wish someone, I like to see Dad tear into him with that baseball bat. Man, that'd be cool. And all I could think about was Dad still awake. And the next thing I knew, it was morning. I fell asleep. Because dad was watching. And your heavenly father is saying, I've got this. You got to care. You got to fear. You got to worry. You got anxiety. You're not sure about things. I got it. Just give it here. In fact, I gave it to you so you turn around and give it to me. I'm carving something in your life you don't even know about right now. I'm doing something. Just give it back to me. You and I are going to get closer than we've ever been before in, our li in your lifetime. Just give it back to me. Because no one's ever cared for you like I care for you. I'm done. But I repeat, it may be tonight that some of you don't have a care in the world. In fact, you almost brag about it. I don't have a care in the world. Okay? Just give it time. But some of you who will be more honest with yourself might be willing to say, the Lord told Morris to preach this tonight because I needed this. Oh God, I've been worried, I've been fearful, I've been frantic, I've been anxious. I've been troubled for some time or for a brief time. But oh God, I'm going to repeat what Peter told us to do. I'm going to cast it on you because I know you care for me. Would you bow your heads with me please? Friends, I have no idea why the Lord wanted me to preach this. It's not just for testimony's sake. It's for God's people to recognize. This is from Him. You don't live on an explanation. You live on the revelation of God's Word. Lord, why are you doing this? Why is this trouble? No, 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 no. Rest in Him. Jesus said, in his gentle voice, I am gentle and lowly. All ye who labor and are under a heavy load, come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. I'm going to pray in a moment. I have no idea if this was for you tonight. And I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand to let me know if it was. It's between you and the Lord right now. But if you would, if you can physically do so, would you just stand with me right now? Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. I don't have to tell Ann Arbor Baptist Church what an altar call is or an invitation. I don't have to tell you that. I'm going to pray. Mary Lynn's going to begin to play afterwards. Friends, you find that place. If you need to talk to your Lord about some hardship, some heavy load, some worry, some fear, some anxiety, some burden, some anxiousness. Can I tell you something? This is a releasing point tonight. This is a time in which you can say, oh God, I rejoice. <laughs> you care for me. And I know you do. But I'm going to bring this burden to you again. And Lord, it probably won't be the last time, even tonight, for me to bring it to you. But I'm bringing it to you right now. You may want to get on your knees here at the front and talk to him. It may be that you want to sit back down at your chair and pray there, just like I said this morning. But don't, don't stiff arm the Lord. Don't worry about anybody else trying to figure out what you're praying about. If God's dealt with you about something, 
Don't live without peace. Don't live without the joy of knowing that He'll take that burden off of you. Cast it on Him. And He'll care for you. Father, finish this service with Your divine presence. I pray that You'll encourage Your people as only You can. And take these moments of seeking Your face in a special way. May it be exactly what we need to do. In Your name we ask it. Our heads are bowed as the music begins. Would you spend time with your Lord all over this room? Have a seat and pray. Get on your knees and pray. Take that burden to Him right now. And I'm not going to re-preach the sermon. I'm not going to make noise. You do what you need to do right now. Don't push the Lord aside. Amen. Cast that care on him tonight. People are praying all over the room. Would you join them? Brother Lloyd, you come and close.